Hey everyone, welcome to Tales of Recovery. This is Gris Alves, your host, and this is a podcast of personal stories of our journey here on earth with this gift called life, stories of resilience and struggle and rediscovering our own ability to heal, and out of that, how we share our medicine with the rest of the world. And today, my guest is Mimi Young, a shamanic practitioner, owner of Ceremony, and this is going to be a great podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here, Mimi. <clears throat> mm, thank you so much for having me. I've been totally looking forward to it. We, um, so Mimi, you reached out to me on, by the, like on an email because somehow we were connected through the Instagram algorithm. And uh, I just find that very interesting and very mm-hmm. cool. Because you were telling me earlier that you don't really listen to that, but this time you're like, well, I don't know. I think I kind of want to speak to this chick. (laughs) 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 Turns out we have a few friends in common in there that are really dope, badass women that are in this evolution of consciousness and, you know, healing ourselves, other women on the planet. So welcome to Tales of Recovery, Mimi. I'm excited for everyone to hear your story. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. So tell us, uh, if you could tell us, like, I want everyone to know where you were born, where you moved to, where you are now, and kind of the, your trajectory from young, gr- young girl to now being, uh, you know, a shamanic practitioner. Okay. Um, I was born in Taipei, Taiwan, and I immigrated to Vancouver, Canada when I was two. Good. And um, the, you know, the, the household that I grew up in, um, my, my parents are very traditional Taiwanese. So we spoke Mandarin at home and uh, we, we ate uh, Taiwanese food um, and, uh, you know, celebrated Taiwanese holidays. And so I think for me, growing up as, uh, as a Canadian, you know, on the West Coast, I, I, I knew from a very young age that I belonged to two worlds, right. the traditional world of um, Taiwanese Chinese heritage, and then this, this other world that, uh, and, and, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So like, I felt like I was a visible minority for, for most of my childhood into the teens. And things started changing um, as you know, halfway through adolescence into young adulthood. Uh, as uh, the you know the influx of um, of immigration and just sort of like a, a, an evolution of uh, the population within Greater Vancouver had shifted, um, but but I was definitely very aware from that young age that there were two worlds and two almost two, two sets of rules. Um, right. You wanted to for me to share about. My, my journey as a shamanic or into becoming a shamanic yeah, practitioner. Like, you know, you're from Taiwan and then you grew up in Vancouver. I'm assuming your parents had certain uh, like religious beliefs or cultural, uh, you know, doctrines that they followed. And then mm. you're in Vancouver and then like, I don't know many shamans have been in Vancouver. So how did this all come about? Right. Um, okay. So, I mean, you've really touched on something interesting because my mother, um, you know, when she was young, she practiced Buddhism and uh, she converted to evangelical Christianity when I was in middle school. And my father has 
very, very nominally, I, I guess in some, on a very cultural surface level, uh, can be considered Buddhist, but, but really he's an atheist. I, I think he was more Buddhist via custom and just because my grandparents um, practice some Buddhism. Um, but, you know, re religion and spirituality wasn't really, and still isn't really important for my father. But my mother certainly, um, I, I think she, uh, part, of, part of immigrating to a place where the language is completely different and the set of customs is completely different is you learn to understand how the world perceives you if you also practice a different faith. Right. And I think... I mean, it's not really something that I ever really spoke to my mother in great detail, but there would be little hints of this here and there. And certainly, you know, Westerners and Asians, um, at least at the time, when, you know, in the 80s, it was sort of seen as if you practice something that was really ancient, um, that it was considered old-fashioned. And so I don't know how much of my mother's transition into Christianity was also in a way to, to, to fulfill a, a deep need for belonging, yeah. um, belonging in a new culture here. Um, and of course, belonging comes with it, you know, credibility and respect and all these other things. Um, because, you know, and even within many like Chinese cultures, if you're a Buddhist, you're, you are kind of considered um, accurately or not, um, you are considered many times old-fashioned, and it's much more on vogue and much more progressive to have, you know, essentially the the white person's religion. Right. Um, That's yeah. so interesting. I think I kind of maybe relate to your mom in that aspect because I we spoke about this last time. Growing up Mexican, there's it's very class oriented, and so you know, if you're a higher class whiter Mexican, you don't do what the natives do or like the mm. old, more of like, oh, you know, we're either nothing atheist or you just go to the Catholic church, you know, when there's a marriage or, or a funeral and moving into the United States again as an immigrant. Yes. It's a total belonging thing. I'll just mm -hmm. go to this evangelical church because it's not really as boring as Catholic, but and here I belong. <laughs> no, I, yeah. There's a better music at least. Um, <laughs> so I'll just drink this Kool-Aid for now because well, it's safe, you belong. Um, that's very interesting that it's kind of the same. Well, I mean, I can just relate. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's safety. I think that's yeah. why we want to feel like we're part of um, <laughs> something or a group. It's, it's that idea of being seen and feeling safe. Yeah. Um, so, so that was uh, you know, what basically were the, the various beliefs that were floating around at home. Um, I have, you know, early memories of um, Buddha, of Kuang Ying um, at home, um, and my mom making offerings uh, daily. I have memories of her asking my grandmother, who was still residing in Taiwan at the time, to make offerings at the temple around certain holidays or if she had a specific request. Um, and then I also have memories of witnessing her baptism and me attending church and uh and me also really having to understand what does it mean for me to be part of this group 
And do I feel belonged? And do I agree with it all? And there's a fair amount of struggle because part of all of that, um, in terms of answering that question of, well, how did I become a shamanic practitioner? Was I, I like, I was intuitive even as a child. Um, I spoke to trees and I spoke to vegetables and I was told that they were imaginary friends and <clears throat> it was just all my imagination. It wasn't real. And I just had a very active uh, mind that that's what I was told. Um, and when I was about 19, I started experiencing paranormal scent. Um, yep. Sometimes it's called clarification where I will smell things that are not physically in the room. And okay. in the beginning, when it first started happening, I would just say, oh my gosh, do you smell that? Like to the other people in the room and they would look <laughs> at me blankly, like, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, I would smell cigarettes. I would smell um, flowers. I would smell uh, types of, you know, like cooking, like specific dishes and like, in, in different and you know many many different smells i would sometimes smell like rather unpleasant smells like like you know this decomposing rotten fleshy smell um and i learned over a long period of time and over a fair amount of trial and error um what these smells meant and um and for instance that that you know decomposing fleshy sour sort of smell rotten smell um is the smell of greed and so I knew that if I was in a room and um, someone enters the room and immediately, boom, I'm confronted with the smell. It was uh, my intuition's way or the spirit's way of uh, asking me to pay attention and to perhaps pay attention to that specific theme in the context of what, the kind of conversation that I was about to have. Um, so it would function as warnings and sometimes function as, hey, you know, it might be good to call up so-and-so. Right. Um, and I would call them up and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I just lost my job today. Thank you so much for calling me. And then we would just, you know, spend some time together um, and things like that. Did you know how to listen to these like right away or first were you like, what the heck? It was a lot of what the heck, um, <laughs> a lot. And also it was me asking myself through the lens of Christianity, um, what right. this meant. And um because I had been going to church and, you know, like I, we, we jumped around in various churches. I, I think my mom at the end um, or not at the end, but like sort of at the end of when I was still attending church, she most comfortable in what is um, understood as uh, charismatic churches or like Pentecostal churches. So ones that are much more open to spiritual manifestations that are outside sort of the, uh, the very strict um, orthodox, uh, biblical interpretation of things. Um, so she did have an understanding of, you know, moving in the spirit and things like that, but nonetheless, it wasn't totally accepted that, uh, that you smell things like may maybe you're inspired to speak in tongues when you're praying or something or to dance when, when, when you listen to some hymns, mm -hmm. but, um, but picking things up like that was still very much seen as, well, you know, that's that's what a medium experiences. That's what a psychic experiences. And mediums yeah. and psychics, that's from you know, they, exactly. Like they are demonic, <laughs> so like stay away. <laughs> yeah. So I was in many ways in the closet for 
for some time. And it was like two types of closets. One was in my own closet. Like I didn't even want to answer that question with myself, let alone answer the question with others. Um, so it, you know, it took that initial step of answering to myself and say, yeah, um, this is happening and this right. stuff is real. And then the second step, which really was, was in some ways, um, harder and easier. I was going to say it was, it was easier, but actually it's harder too. Um, just because there's this thing like when one, you know, comes out of the broom closet, so to speak, this like yeah. witch's broom closet. Yeah that uh, yeah like people are going to see you differently and then also sometimes people are like oh well we'll prove it prove that you have this power which is totally <laughs> insulting to the spirits because they're not going to play human games um i can't just snap my fingers and boom they're going to make something happen um so so yeah so that there is a lot of this it, it was a process there was a There's lot, a of, lot of oppression yeah a lot of fear oh, yeah. around it for sure tons tons lots of um, inner skepticism and, and doubt and, um, and not wanting to feel that I didn't belong. So you told me like the main, I think we believe in, I believe in that when we spoke over the phone, like one of the main initiations of this gift that you have was when you were, when you were pregnant and had to be bedridden for a while. Mm, yeah. That's, um, that's separate than the, uh, uh, picking up the sense or the clarofaction. Um, but yeah, so to, to give your listeners some context, um, I have two, uh, you know, I have the privilege of bringing two beautiful uh, sons into this world. Um, and they're about seven years apart in age. And between the first and the second, um, we really wanted to conceive again and close, closer rather than the seven year gap. And it just didn't happen. There were, you know, um, a few miscarriages, um, e even, you know, after getting pregnant, like there, <laughs> there were a few uh, miscarriages. So like you know, getting pregnant was already one step. Um, right. and, then, and then staying pregnant was, uh, was very challenging. Um, and so, you know, a number of things had happened between, like during that seven-year gap. And now, during this seven-year gap, were you also already using or, or walking into these gifts that you've been, or were you still kind of like, well, there they are, but I'm not really going to be. Mm. Oh yeah. I, I was, I had embraced them all by then. Okay. Um, I wasn't necessarily uh, telling everybody around me that, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I can do these. I, I'm a witch, uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, I had during that time had, had begun using tarot and really committed to learning that. And I really saw it as learning a, a, a new language, you know, a language of the spirit. And because I'm so visual, it made sense to, to start there. And it was really because I wanted something to help me understand uh, the clerical faction, like the sense. And so I thought, well, you know, rather than asking, uh, humans to explain this. And, and I did that. I, I went to the metaphysical bookstores. I, I asked every mystic or um, intuitive um, I could find to, to help me, but no one seemed to really know how to help me. And so it really got to a point where I, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to learn tarot because it is a spiritual language. 
and hopefully that can help me. And I was also um, simultaneously, um, I dream dreams. And I mean, we all dream dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, the dreams though were really profound and um, sometimes I understood them, sometimes they didn't. The times I did understand them, uh, they always came true or whatever it is that was warning me or telling me or giving me insight or healing me. Um, it was always just so, so accurate. And so I felt that learning tarot would also be an, a method to helping me interpret my dreams. So yeah, so all that had, and by then we had left church, my partner and I, and, and my son, um, we had, we really realized that, um, it wasn't a place for us anymore. Yeah. And yeah, so I get pregnant this time around with, uh, with my second. And the first trimester was, was smooth. Um, and shortly into the second trimester, one morning when I was getting <clears throat> my older son ready for school, you know, I was making breakfast and prepping his lunch and all that. I just felt, I felt something between my legs. So I go to the washroom and I'm hemorrhaging again. And that's how all the miscarriages started. And I just remember feeling just utter devastation and sorrow. And I just thought this can't be, I really, really was hoping that this pregnancy would, would be viable. Mm-hmm. Clean myself up. And then I hear um, the doorbell ring and keep in mind, this is early in the morning. This is like, you know, like 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m., and so my son and I go down get to the door, open the door, and there's no one there. We're like, well, that's odd. I heard it. He heard it. That was strange. And then we look across the street. And on my neighbor's lawn is my spirit bird. It's Heron. And Heron looks straight at me and then flies away. And the minute that happened, I knew the baby that, that was inside would live. I didn't know how, I didn't know, you know, how to stop the bleeding, none of that. I just knew it was going to be okay. And um, I know it's just so profound. And, you know, to this day, my, my older son will still talk about that. Remember that day when the bird rang the doorbell? <laughs> and it's just, yeah. Anyway, um, so, you know, I went in for various tests. Um, my midwife was really diligent. She wanted to roll out every possibility. And no one could figure out what exactly was causing um, the hemorrhaging. But they knew, and, you know, I knew, because just through me lying down, that if I was reclined, I wouldn't bleed. But if I stood, I would bleed. So you had to be on the bed. I was, yeah, I was on bed rest. And it was, hmm. at first, it was only supposed to be for two weeks. And then um, after the two weeks, I got up again and started, you know, living life. Um, and I started bleeding again. So back on bed rest for another two weeks. And then after that, those two weeks, got up again, once again, started hemorrhaging. And so at that point, I was asked to stay on bed rest till, um, till the baby's at full term, which is 37 weeks. So doing the math, that was about a little over five months of bed rest of, of staying in bed. Yeah, it was a really long time and it was really hard. Um, I'm a, uh, for those who care about astrology, um, my, my moon is in Capricorn. Um, and, you know, as you all know, um, Capricorns are, uh, like to move and like to work. We are doers. Um, 
and my my uh, my risings in Aries, which means that I have a lot of energy. Like I'm one of those people that I I don't get out of bed, I leap out of bed, um, and I don't work until I'm kind of tired. I, I work until I'm totally exhausted, and that's something I'm actually actively working on. Um, maybe we'll save that for another conversation. But uh, but to ask someone of that nature to lie in bed for five and a half months is really challenging. Um, right. How did yeah. you manage it? Is this when you began? Yeah. Well, this is when I began, like I mentioned to you, I began meditating. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I picked the hardest thing because I was like, well, I have a long time to practice. Um, and no one's at home during the day because, you know, uh, my partner's at work, my son's at school. And so I thought, you know, this is kind of ideal. Um, and I've always said that this is something I would like to practice, but you know, you make excuses to not do so. And so, yeah, I started meditating and, it, and even, and that was also very hard. Um, I think I mentioned to you, um, in our, uh, our, our conversation before, it's like asking a puppy to sit like <laughs> that. It's just impossible for, well, at least for me at the, the time, mind. I thought it was it's just practice. so impossible to ask a hyperactive mind to just be still and to observe. Um, but, but yeah, but I, I started doing it. Um, and you know, it started off as like a two minute exercise and it grew over time to about five hours, six hours a day of, of meditation. Dang. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it, this is when the shit happens. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly how it did happen because uh -huh. one day I find myself out of my, my, you know, expected meditation practice. And I found myself in this place and I didn't even have the words to describe it at the time, but you know, I met Heron and I met a few other spirit allies and they told me a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stuff about me and about the baby and about my family and a few people in my close sort of circle. And, you know, they answered a, a few really big questions that I've had. And um, it was just so real. And when I came out of that meditation, I realized, like, when I had my conscious mind active, I thought, whoa, I went to, like, like a spirit place. Another dimension, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, I remember not really knowing how to process it. I just remembered kind of keeping it to myself part of it because I wanted to see just what would happen if, um, you know, if I didn't say anything because they did make some, some, uh, divinatory, uh, suggestions. Mm -hmm. And of course those things did unfold exactly how, uh, the spirits had said they would. And I thought, Whoa, Whoa, like this is once again, not my imagination. Um, this is something much bigger than, than me. Yeah. And, um, and I was trying my very best to get back there uh, during the remainder of the bed rest. I was unsuccessful. Um, and uh, the next time I had experienced something similar to it was when I was giving birth to my second. I had reached this moment of total overwhelm. It's like, I mean, you, you, you have children, so you get what I'm saying, like that place of where whoa, I don't know if my body can handle this. I feel yeah. <laughs> it's really scary. I feel, yeah. It's like, I am feeling that there is an earthquake happening inside my body. Like that was just, it was intense. And I remember at that time, 
um, because it was such a quick and very like fast birthing. I, I just, and there was this moment of overwhelm and I felt this stall soon after. And I just thought, this is, this is weird. Uh, what's going on? And then I felt myself just very intuitively going into my body and I met him. I, I met my, my second and I said, what, what, what's up? Like, why the delay? <laughs> like what, 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 what happened Baby. here? Cause we were, you know, like we had this energy going, we were in flow and there's a bit of this, this shift in energy, almost a bit of resistance. And he said, Oh mama, I, I just don't know if that world that I'm, that I'm going into is going to be better than this one. Mm. And I said, Oh, I am so excited to meet you. And there's so many people who are waiting to just meet you. And, and you have a brother that's waiting for you and he can't wait to play. And also like, you're going to love my milk. Like I guarantee <laughs> it. <laughs> and the then taste. after that, two pushes and he was out. So that was kind of my, like, you know, up till then, like two shamanic experiences. So I had my second and, you know, I was able to get back on my feet and all these things. Um, and uh, normal life resumed. And I remember telling a girlfriend one day that uh, um, I, I really want to go to Peru, but I didn't really know how to get myself there. And I, and I said, you know, like I just basically shared with her everything. That's where all the shamans are, right? Peru. Yeah, well, exactly, we right? Like at the time in my mind, that's what I thought. And she's like, oh, Mimi. First of all, there are people who practice this type of work everywhere. Yeah. And B, let me introduce you to someone I know. She's a second generation shamanic practitioner. She lives on Vancouver Island, which is, you know, like a, an island off the coast of British Columbia. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll introduce the two of you. And sure enough, I meet her and she becomes my teacher. And, um, and really, she gives me a lot of the formal language and a, a fair amount of the safety pieces and the ethics that goes around this work. Like, how do you protect yourself? How do you do it in a way that this is respectful? Um, because I, I had a lot, like I was being called anyway, yeah. but, um, but I felt it's just so much nicer to, to, uh, to learn with someone who, uh, who has this experience. Yeah. And um, well, with, yeah. you know, so, you've never known this all your life. Everything everyone tells you is like, that's wrong. That's wrong. You have different messages. Totally. Like to have a teacher who's like, oh no, this is totally normal. This is how we're going to do this. Yes, absolutely. And um, what I love about it was that is, is that she practices core shamanism. So it's not shamanism that is uh, within a specific um, cultural practice or a specific um, practice within a, like a group. Um, but it's one that uh, takes the universal, uh, the universal code of shamanic work. So understanding the importance of drum and rattle to enter into trance, mm -hmm. um, to understand uh, the ethics around uh, you know, traveling into the safety, into, into the spirit world, and then, and then of course, traveling back, um, really revering the elements. So really revering fire as a component 
in your work. Um, and sometimes that's just represented through candle. If you're doing it indoors, you don't necessarily always have, you know, the ability to do it around an open fire. Um, but these things were covered. And, um, and what's interesting is since then, I've been really exploring even um, how shamanism uh, exists in ancient Chinese practice and even specifically in ancient Taiwanese practice. And, uh, and there's a fair amount. So before my ancestors emigrated from the mainland China over to Taiwan, um, they mainly resided in a province called uh, Fujian. And there is a huge, very rich heritage of shamanic practice in Fujian. So I've been able to really explore um, this topic uh, through, uh, through sort of my introduction to it while here, you know, living yeah. in the West yeah. Coast of Canada, but then also being able to go a little deeper. And I think the, one, the part that I love the most, at least in the, the Taiwanese piece, is the connection to ancestors. Yeah. Um, so important. And it's so appropriate right now. Like as, I mean, we're, we're tomorrow is, is Halloween or Samhain and, and you know, the day after that is the day of the dead. It's, this is like potent stuff. And yes, I have huge reverence for, um, those who lived before me and, um, it's, it's a huge part of my practice. Yeah. This is interesting that we're recording this today when, what? so yeah, tell us a little bit about like explain Samhain is. So Samhain is. Samhain, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, Samhain is uh, considered by uh, the pagans, um, the witches' New Year, the mystics' New Year. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and pagans, you know, I, I need to mention that it's, I think sometimes people have uh, the understanding that it's really only relating to uh, what is now known as the UK. But traditional paganism actually extends as east as Turkey. Oh, it covered a huge um, uh, domain, right? So like what we know as, uh, as the Celts and, and the pagans. Yeah, it, it really did. And um, so they view it as the new year. And we're entering into, you know, the darkest time of the year, uh, the days are short um, and cold, um, and there's a huge reverence for that connection to the other world. And, you know, even in pop culture, in terms of, you know, how pop culture interprets uh, Halloween, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a fair amount of ghosts and spirits and these sort of, you know, ghoulish looking pumpkin carvings. I mean, that is still coming from that, that context. And I love bridging that with um, the ancient Taoist tradition of, uh, of what is called the void or the great void. And when I say void, I'm using a capital V for void. Yeah. Um, so void is really associated to this winter because everything has, you know, like the fall is when there was a harvest and the, the shedding begins, right? Uh -huh. The initial decomposing has begun, but in the winter, um, the land is seen even as in some ways dead. Um, not literally dead, but it's, you know, in some ways it is seen as dead because there's, you know, everything has gone back into the ground. And, and the, the ancient Taoist tradition sees the void as a time of immense potential. 
immense creative potential. So this is a really exciting time and it makes sense for the new year um, to be seen from here. So it's part of like the rhythms of of earth, yeah. Earth, you know, mm -hmm. and humans as being born of the earth and how we make sense of it all. Oh, yeah. How would you explain that? Like, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm Mexican, so the, our Day of the Dead is really honoring and celebrating and remembering them. You create an altar. I mean, my dad would tell us when we were little, okay, they're coming in. The grandparents are going to come in. They're going to feast. They're going to laugh. They're going to have a cigarette and then dance and go back to the void or to wherever, mm -hmm. right. wherever they're at. And so I'm wondering, what is the specific of this new year? Like explain to us, why is it so powerful? What should we be like having an intention on right. for this time? Well, I love how you're asking the why. Like, why is this so important? Why is this so powerful? Um, we have unfortunately as a Western world and other parts of the world that have experienced um, colonialism, mm -hmm. uh, we have forgotten the why. And the reason why we have forgotten the why is because uh, I'm going to go back to my experience in evangelical Christianity. Yep. So in evangelical Christianity, we are told to not bow to the dead. We are told to not like once someone's dead, they're dead. Don't worry about them because they're in heaven. So don't think about them anymore. Um, and that's it. Whereas, you know, the traditional Chinese ways, like before, um, I guess, globalization in terms of religion, <clears throat> was you revered the dead. And in fact, in fact, in ancient China, if your parents, if either one of your parents passed away, it was law to resign from your current post and be in grief for 30 months. Wow. It was law because they understood the great importance of a grief that you don't just take a week off and boom back to work. Like that we're not machines. We're humans and we belong to this huge fabric, this huge wheel of life. So give yourself time to process death. Yeah. Give yourself time to process the fact that the person who brought you in is no longer physically here. So that was, it was law. And not only that, it was this huge act of remembering where you came from so you know where you're going. So answering the question of why is Samhain and Halloween and Day of the Dead and honoring winter so important is because if you don't know where you came from, you don't know who you are and you don't know where you're going. And this is something that the um, oppressors or the colonialists really understood. How do you enslave a group of people? Well, help them forget who they are. They're easier to enslave that way. It's, it's fucked up, right? Like, yeah. like um, but yeah, it, you said that last time. It's easier to manipulate people if they don't know who they are. Absolutely. So this brainwashing and this fear. Mm -hmm. Because even as I'm, you know, I've been stepping into this like magic and this, my ancestry and my, what I've known all along, the pathology of this, you know, um, programming of fear and ripping you off of who you are. It's just, it's very deep. There's a lot of work we all of us need to do in order to be able to remember. Oh yeah. So this is so oh, yeah. badass that you're here. Okay. Tell us, <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
so I, uh, yeah, I, I, I do find that remembering where you came from um, is so important. And I, I think, you know, in terms of ancestral worship and then ancestral healing, I think sometimes people tend to think really far back, like, where did I come from 10,000 years ago? But I would say, because I just taught an ancestral connection workshop here in Vancouver um, a few days ago. It was a four-hour course, and we just really got deep and it was, it was juicy because people got to, you know, learn a bit of theory and then immediately apply it. And at the end, um, I would say it was like sort of a, a real like hybrid of both theory and practice. But one thing that I talked about during the course is that if you were to drop, let's say, a rock or a stone in the water, it will ripple. Uh-huh. And the ripples are more noticeable around where the stone dropped, right? Like wherever that, that place that the stone was dropped, that's where the ripples are most visible. But then they continue for a while. Yeah. Um, and of course, quantum physics, they, they can probably say it technically um, continues forever. It's just that you're, you're, you know, the naked eye doesn't necessarily see that. So, you know, in the context of ancestral healing, when you're, really trying to figure things out the the best place and the easiest place is to start with your parents and then after that to then go back one generation to grandparents and then of course if you wanted to go a little further you can go back to your great-grandparents but those are the lives that most impact you and all of us Uh um and yes like of course it's super interesting to explore um, genealogy and to go back many, 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 many generations. But there's also a lot of value in exploring the stories that your parents carried and grandparents carried because they, you know, going back to that stone, like the ripples are going to hit you the most in those, in that context. Yeah. And I think a lot of us that are immigrants or that our parents fled from their origins because of this colonization and because of wanting to belong and to be able to survive, really. It calls Mm -hmm. for a lot of deep, deep compassion and understanding. Uh, I'll tell you, for me, you know, I've been fighting for so long, like, you're oppressing me, like, you're, what are you doing? You're like, you're not allowing me to be my magic self. You're not allowing me to do this because, you know, they're so scared for the kids to also belong. Yeah, um, not be like seen as like this weirdo, hippie, witch, psycho, whatever. And so, uh, you know, as we do this ancestral connection to understand, like, and I'm speaking, you know, I'm speaking to me, but I know that there's a lot of people out there that are just like fed up with the parents and oh, my parents and the mother and the grandmother and all of these negative messages. They had, that's just what they used to survive. Totally. And they did it in the context of love. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it may not make sense to Blind us. love, maybe, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I Trust me, I've had to go through a lot of inner questioning and, and just um, really understanding, you know, the context of, of who I am and where I come from and, yeah. and how does this relate with um, the previous generation. You know, and, and you and I, I think this is probably especially more so... Um, and I'm not wanting to be exclusive, but, but I do feel that for women particularly, there's like these layers 
that, um, you know, living in a patriarchal society, uh, they, the, the, there's layers of just a lot of subtlety and, and nuance that, that we have to do this work. And there's a, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of times it's not even apparent because it's so systematically woven in. Yeah. It's yeah. so subtle. Yeah. It's like this collective oppression. You have to fight and, oh, you shouldn't be angry and you shouldn't be this. Oh, yes, we should be very angry, but it's okay. I mean, if that anger fuels your, you know, your intuition to heal, to learn, to connect to other women that are on this journey, that can help you. Just like, you know, your friend told you about this girl up in uh, Vancouver Island. And these other women that have come into my life, even just you reaching out to me, it's like, oh, I'm on the right path. I'm on the right path. You know, mm. um, there is a lot of mindset of that's wrong. Just, you know, go to university and make money and stay in the church and check the boxes. And the totally. speed of life is killing us. And I oh love that you said about this void, because I believe what this part of this new year and day of the dead is, it's a theme to slow down. Winter is like to stay and make lots of soup, meditate, yes. write, and just become aware of this gift of life that we have and, and just kind of go in and savor the summer and the fall and savor and ask for what to do. Like, I, I hate that we're rushing ourselves to death, really. So true. Um, so this actually brings up an important piece that, I mean, everything that you're saying, we're living in this very fast paced um, society to the point where that's another way to enslave the people, right? Because if you get yeah. them so busy and in so much hurry, they're not going to have a chance to stop and think. And so when I started, um, you know, my, my business ceremony, um, at the time, it was just skin and aura care. And when I say at the time, that was four years ago. Um, or it, it will be four years ago come December. But, uh, and, and of course, since, since then, I've, I've created the second arm, which is the education arm um, slash um, Thank you. service, um, where I do readings for clients. But going back to the first piece. So when I first started ceremony, the spirit said, Mimi, close your e-shop for all of December. And I said, what? Oh, yeah. um, that's, hello, that's like the busiest time of the year. Like people are buying. So why would I shoot myself in the foot? Like I just didn't understand. And the spirit said, no, we will take care of you. Just close shop for all of December. And so, and this is the thing, if you make your commitment to be, um, in this type of work, you know, as a shamanic practitioner, I have to listen to the spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, very, with great reluctance, I shut down every December 1st and then I opened it up um, the first week of January. And you know what? They really, like, it was, it was such a gift to me. Like, they really were looking out for me because what do you do when you're not crazy busy? You get to do everything you said. You get to reflect, you get to make soup, you get to do, you know, spend time with people you love. And, yeah. and you know what I get to do, like the, how often are we, is the default thing to say in December, I'm so busy, right? Uh, like, it's like, 
oh, it's so crazy. I can't wait until the holidays are over. <laughs> it's like, right? Like, at least that's what I used to say. Yeah, no. Um, but it's not like that anymore because every, so, and most of my clients that have been, you know, like um, working with me for some time, they know that if they want to buy skincare or aura care, that they got to get their orders in by the last day of November. <laughs> they know that. And yeah, otherwise they're waiting until January. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's just what I do. I still do my readings and my like teaching during December, but uh, I don't, it's not, it's not a, a sales time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that was because of the spirits told me to. Yeah. It's so, um, it's countercultural, but you're right. Like, uh, you know, these Christmas parties and people are tired and you have to go and eat and drink. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> totally. You really can say, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. I love you. Thanks for thinking of me. And turn on the movie and make some tea and totally hang out. You know, it's, Oh, yeah. It's like this, this drive to really, really have to fight capitalism and consumerism and to get inward and to remember uh, oh, yeah. really what's important. I mean, I have it so near to me with like my parents being older and my mom being sick. It's just in my face constantly like, remember what this is about. Stop. Breathe. Yeah. Love those that are near you. What needs to get done and what can wait and then totally. we're, um, and also okay. like remembering what to like you were mentioning too how to take care of ourselves like you told me that in your you know in your upbringing and even now there's different foods you eat at different times you know you have traditional medicine plans or traditional foods that you eat at certain times so even maybe even just studying about that during this time and oh yeah I mean that's one thing I appreciate oh yeah I was totally self-care. And you know what's interesting? Self-care, if it's done, right? It's also earth care. Yes. Um, oh. Yeah, just because that's, that's the thing that my parents brought in, um, you know, into our home. Because, you know, if you go to Taiwan, the food at the supermarket is seasonal. Right. Yeah, like there are some things that you can get year-round, right? You can get milk year-round. But fruit... Once, you know, the special um, Taiwanese grapes that literally smell like grape candy, like it's the, the, the fragrance, like just that, that scent, that fragrance is so beautiful and so sweet that it almost smells artificial, like just how potent it is. Oh, it's only around for a little bit. And once it's done, it's done. You got to wait till next year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and here at least in Vancouver, I can get strawberries any time of the year. That's kind of weird. Like, it shouldn't, like, I shouldn't be able to get strawberries year-round. Yeah. I think it's important that we all begin to listen to that. Oh, yeah. To listen that there's seasons, that we can grow our own food seasonally with what's available around the area where we live. And, yeah, and I try to grasp we're just so spoiled to a degree. We're so you know? spoiled, yeah. And we're taught to believe that if you want it, you should have it. Yeah. But that's also fucked up. That's actually a very <laughs> colonialist mindset. If you want it, you should have it. Yeah. Well, you know, if I've missed the grapes, I'm going to have to wait till next year. Yeah. And being you know? okay with that dissatisfaction because that's where growth comes. That's where maturity comes. 
Totally. Mm-hmm. And also there's another fruit I can probably eat a couple of weeks later, you know, cause it right. was like in, at least in Taiwan, like their fruits are available year round. Um, not the same fruits, but there'll be a different fruit. And it's probably healthier for your body and for the earth. Right? Absolutely. Seasonally. Oh yeah. So let me ask you another question. I want you to let us know what is the difference between shamanic practitioner and a shaman? Mm. Oh, that's, that's a juicy one. Thank you. Um, so uh, shaman is the word that is used to, uh, to really revere a specific person um, in a grouping, um, typically in indigenous groupings. Um, and they have entered into that role either through, um, you know, a lineage uh, being passed down um, or because they have gone through some form of initiation and in depending on tradition, you know, from tradition, some of these initiations are are very intense. Like they actually bring on um, like physical tribulation and severe psychological testing and sometimes even near death experiences. Uh, Sometimes let's say, uh, you know, in in a would be shaman is given um, a specific, uh, uh, medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, uh, they essentially, and, and the, the, the quantity is, is a higher than usual. So it's, mm-hmm. it's basically a poison because that's right. really the difference between a medicine and a poison is, is the dosage. The dosage. Um, <laughs> so they'll be given one that's a bit higher. And, um, if they survive, then that would be like a sign, um, that they have, uh, essentially, you know, had the potential to die and then have come back. Um, so that is not a term I use to describe myself. Okay. Um, and also, you know, for my students, I always make that really clear it is not a term that they use to describe their work. Um, and then there's shamanic practitioner. So shamanic practitioner is someone who, um, you know, definitely has uh, these types of gifts and have been called also by spirit but they don't necessarily come um, from an indigenous uh, context. Um, they may live you know, a fairly modern life. Let's say like I do, you know, I drive and I have television. I have, you know, like these like very like lovely modern comforts. Um, and, and I don't come uh, directly from an indigenous, indigenous group. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh I would say that a shamanic practitioner also has made a commitment, right? So like I mentioned this earlier, like when the spirits say something, I listen and, um, and I respect what it is that they say. So it's a commitment to make sure that I'm accountable to them and that I'm accountable to myself. Um, and, and I, I really believe that that's just the way to go. And so even with my students, I say, Hey, you know, I'm super excited that you're here to learn with me. Um, but before, uh, we proceed, let's talk about that term, shaman. And then let's talk about the term shamanic practitioner. Because just because someone learns from me doesn't necessarily mean that they're suited to do this work. It may mean that they can, let's say, you know, let's say they're a Reiki practitioner. So maybe they want to integrate some shamanic tools into their practice. Then say that. Say that I, I use some shamanic tools in my practice. But you don't necessarily say I'm a shaman or I'm a shamanic practitioner even. Um, I, I would equate it somewhat to if I were to take, you know, a 200 level psychology course, does that make me 
a psychologist or if I took a, you know, 300 level, um, I don't know, like anatomical surge, like surgery course, does that make me take one course a surgeon? Like, of course not. So um, I, yeah, so I, I would say that you got to practice it. Absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and they also, before they enter into their profession, um, they need to, you know, there's some oaths, right? You, yeah. you are here to serve your patient. You are to be unbiased. You are to, like, there's like a list of oaths that you must take to be considered part of um, the profession. Um, and if you, uh, if there is any type of um, a disrespect, right? If, the, if you have crossed that line, um, if there is some type of uh, harm that was, uh, you know, that, that that person had done, then their license is revoked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I kind of see it in a similar way. I like that. I like that you say that because there's a lot of charlatans, I mean, stuff going on out there and how do you know who's serious, who's not? So I appreciate that you say, you know, you make a commitment to practice, mm. not to just say, oh, I'm a wish. Oh, yes. But what's your commitment? What do you practice? Mm. Um, you know, what are your, your ethical guidelines of respect to yourself, to spirit world, to, to your teachers, you know? So, yeah, that's kind of cool. Mm. Um, well, where can we find you and take your connection workshops or um, connect with you? I'm going to definitely for sure put all your Instagram and web pages on when we launch the podcast. But what is coming up here for you as an offering for anybody mm. who's fascinated by this, like me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So. My website is shopceremony.com and ceremony is spelt with an I E at the end. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm fairly active on Instagram. So the handle is at shop ceremony. Once again, with an I E at the end. And uh, if you go on the website, uh, you'll see the very first tab um, is what I call a spirit medicine studies. So you can go into that tab and it would bring you to three sections. One would be upcoming in Vancouver. Um, One is upcoming online and those ones are live. So we'll be connecting online together uh, live. And for those who sign up for those that they can't uh, sign in live because maybe of whatever commitments that they have in their life or maybe even just a time zone issue, right? Um, they will be sent a replay link that they can uh, listen in and, and watch. Um, and then the third tab um, are studies on demand. So these are uh, ones that I've taught in the past um, that people maybe uh, had not even like been following me yet, or maybe they weren't ready to do that type of work. And uh, so there's it's a, a, a pretty extensive collection um, of various different topics. And so the topics, for instance, in the on demand might be, how to shamanically journey or uh, past life healing, or even learning about how to use essential oils in the plant medicine context and how to use it actually properly um, uh, in, in a way that is you know, safe and effective and those types of things. In terms of upcoming uh, for uh, those outside of the Vancouver area, so for this, you know, of course, would be upcoming online for November. Uh, this is the first Tuesday of November. Uh, I'm doing a how to uh, use shamanism to support pregnancy 
and birthing. Um, so essentially, I'll be talking about how to journey into the body. Um, nice. So you don't, you don't even necessarily have to be pregnant to do it. Like I actually, there's a few clients that have just signed up and they had said, I'm not even going to be pregnant. I'm not pregnant. I'm not planning on being pregnant, but I just want to know how to journey into my body. So anyway, yeah. that, that's, that's certainly an option. Yeah. Um, and then in January, the first Tuesday in January, uh, I'll be teaching a uh, heal your relationships with food through shamanism. Wonderful. I, that sounds so cool. Mm, thank because you. food is oh yeah that, that's a big one that's a big one that's a big one wow so cool thank you so much i you know it's been interesting because i've been thinking like this past these past two weeks i've been in my mind think, just shut down shut it all down till, till january i was about to oh. like post up another like because i host full moon circles at my house and i was like okay let's do this i'm feeling it i was about to do the ad and then i thought no no wait not yet. It's inward time now. And I don't know. I didn't really know why. I'm like, am I tired? Am I? But I think it's just somebody telling me just the, what you said. Like, it's time to be calm, go inward, and not produce. So thank you for, like, mm. it just confirms, like, oh, we already know a lot of this stuff. We just I need totally other do. teachers to, to help us confirm and to help us know that we're not alone in this and that it's okay to listen to what, oh, yeah. uh, to what we hear, you know, thank you. I am so appreciative that you came on here. Um, I don't know. Do you have any last words or advice or mm. a phrase oh. for life that you want to share <laughs> before we close? <laughs> um, <laughs> no well, pressure. A bless, yeah. A blessed Samhain, um to everyone and day of the dead. And yeah, I'd be very happy to connect um, and serve you. Thank you so much for having me too. Thank you. Thank you, Mimi. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for uh, listening to Tales of Recovery. We will see you next time. Okay.